If you're a Disney Plus subscriber and you're watching The Mandalorian, Jack and I have a podcast for you. Every week, we'll discuss the latest episode of The Mandalorian and talk about other great content and maybe some not so great content on Disney Plus as well. As two lifelong Star Wars fans, we have a ton of fun geeking out over all the little details of the show, and we want you to join us every Monday. So search for Disney Plus Reviews. That's Disney P-L-U-S Reviews. Hey, Phil, how about that, Baby Yoda? Baby Yoda says, What's the podcast? The show that brings you in where the magic happens. Welcome to The Writer's Room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined by Sif Pop writer Robert again. Hello. Thanks for having me back on. I'm noticing it's fall time right now, and I just got the feeling like I should be going to the movies more often because the last few years around this season it was when the Oscar season starts ramping up, and I've gotten excited, but can't do it this year. Uh, I Thank wanted to throw that in at the beginning of the episode, but... Thanks for starting on a downer. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't know hey, where remember, else to put it. You remember all those movies you wanted to go see? <laughs> that you we can't see them now. For two years now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, we write for SifPop.com, providing you with movie reviews, best ever challenges, other interesting movie-related articles. So make sure you check out the website, SifPop.com, to keep up with those. On today's show, we'll move on to the coming attractions, where we'll give our thoughts on what's coming out soon. Uh, this week, we're talking about Come Play. That'll come out. It's supposed to be in theaters this week. I don't know why movies are still choosing to release in theaters, but there we go. Uh, then uh, we'll go on to our SIF topic, which of course we'll be talking about some goats since Robert's on. We'll talk about Halloween and the birds for a little bit of uh, Halloween thematic stuff going on there. And uh, then we'll explore the B-plot, answering a question uh, that, uh, that I had for us uh, this week. And we'll wrap up a spinoff quick recommend or award for each one of us. But first, let's get a chance to know our writer this week. And Robert, I apologize. I'm going to put you on the spot for a second. But Ben okay. told us a little bit about the new uh, series that you've been writing for Sif Pop, the, uh, the one where you take two movies that have opposing themes. Do, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Do you want to maybe expand on, on what that means to you or kind of what you're excited about this? Sure. Well, a lot of people... I don't know why other people like the exact reasons they love movies, but I think a lot of it is transports them to a different world. They like experiencing other people's point of views. They uh, appreciate the craft. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons. But for me, the biggest reason I like movies is because I like to hear people's voices and how they express themselves and how and the different kind, kinds of ideas they have about the world and why they have those ideas and how they choose to communicate those ideas to everyone because movies are seen by so many people. So my series on the contrary kind of stemmed from that because obviously when you watch so many movies, you get lots of different points of views and a lot of times they can be opposing points of views. And I tend to not only like movies whose themes I agree with or who, whose messages I agree with. I also like the ones that challenge me, uh, make me think a little bit more. So I wanted to go for a series that kind of compared two movies that I love which have opposing themes and messages and reconcile the two and explain why I still am able to fall in love with both of them, how each one has, has special things that mean special things to me or how each one has its own unique voice. So I, I really enjoy doing that. I already did the gray and silence. Um, and then the next one that comes out, it's going to be on Moneyball and La La Land. So I'm looking forward to getting that one. Oh, Okay. There's a very specific way. Huh. You'll see when it when it when you read it. 
Tell, I, I am so excited to read that then. Well, uh, well, we'll move on to the part that you do know about. We'll put you not on the spot anymore. We're going to play another round of What Gives. And Well, I'm, I'm kind of half kind of on the spot. Kind of on the spot yeah. because I, I have the show notes here in front of me and I know what movies I'm going to say. Hey, Robert, I, I was looking through your letterbox and I just I was just like, why on earth do you have this movie rated at this? I need a little bit of an explanation. And like some of these I do understand, specifically one of these. Like, I know why you rated it. I just liked it definitely more than you did. So right. Robert has no idea what these movies are. Um, I I do, obviously. And this should be a lot of fun. So, so Robert, I got to ask. I was looking through your letterbox. I just want to know why you have Alita Battle Angel at a two out of five stars. I don't think this is like an excellent movie, but this is like a four star, three and a half star for me. So in my on my letterbox, my whole bio is just the my rating system. So like what a five means for me, what a four and a half means, etc. cetera. Uh, for me, a four means not good or, or two stars, which is four out of 10 means not good. Um, and I think that's very fitting for Alita because the only thing that I found good about that was some exciting action. I thought the action was well done and the visuals were good. But other than that, I didn't find a single thing that was redeemable about that movie. I saw it one time. I saw it with my friend in IMAX. He's a big James Cameron fan, so he liked it a little bit more than I did. But I, man, I have no interest in going back to it. it I was bored. Um, the IMAX was too much for me. It was just, I, I don't think it deserved any more than a two. I think that's fair. Uh, your opinion is your opinion, and that's totally okay. I I certainly did not love this movie. I think I really liked this movie up until about the last half hour, but I definitely am interested in in going back to that world uh, because I think that there's a, I think that there's a, there's a world there that I want to explore. And Robert, this is the one that I kn- I know why you rated it one star, but I I think I just this movie just hit me right, and maybe it's because I haven't seen it since theater, but. Ralph breaks the internet. You have it a one star. I'm saying this is like maybe like a three and a half stars. I I love the first record, Ralph, and I I think I like this one. I probably like it more than most, but but one star. What's up with that? So this is another one that I've only seen once. I too really love the first record, Ralph. I think I think it's great. Everything about it's just a lot of fun. There's a lot of heart. A lot of good. A lot of good themes in there. Um, so I was looking forward to the second one. I don't remember exactly why it made me so angry, but I was angry coming out of that movie. I went to see it uh, <laughs> right before I left for Thanksgiving break when I was in college. I was I was going to my girlfriend's house for Thanksgiving. Now my wife, she left. Man, I don't know why I did this. She left the college the night before and I left a night later so I could go see Wreck-It Ralph and then Green Book the next day and, and then end up at her house. But I saw Wreck-It Ralph. I was angry and not in a good mood afterwards. And then and the, there's an end credits scene as I was walking out and it's just Wreck-It Ralph rickrolling you. And at that point, I was just more than <laughs> had it with that movie. So I can't give you specifics, but I know it made me angry and I did not appreciate being rickrolled by <laughs> Wreck-It Ralph. See, again, I, I understand why people don't like it. I, I just think it hit me in the sweet spot. And maybe it's because this was the first movie I saw with my now wife this mm-hmm. is a movie we saw in theaters together the first one and so maybe it has that sweet spot we had a good time uh, maybe i just had low expectations i loved the first movie but i mean you're talking a sequel almost 10 years later i mean sometimes that just doesn't really work out well so i had a good time uh, this one this one kind of shocked me um i really like a simple favor and you have this at about a two and a half stars yeah a simple favor there's another one i don't remember already what the first one you asked oh alita yeah, you're you're asking me from like a, a specific era of my life where I was pretty much going to see anything 
middle size, mid size to huge coming out. Um, and I would actually still be doing that if I wasn't for theaters being shut down. But a simple favor was one I went to see because I like Anna Kendrick. Blake Lively's okay too. And then I remember I described this in my review as Disney Channel production quality mixed with a Gone Girl plot. So it's okay, but it seemed like too silly. It seemed like they were going too much for humor in some points, but also trying to be dark at others. The two separate tones just never came together in the right way for me. Um, This one has Henry Golding, right? Is that? Yep. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that was the first time I saw him. And then he was in The Gentleman, which was pretty fun. And then he's going to be Snake Eyes. So at least it gave me Henry Golding. That's true. I didn't see this movie until it came out on on home release and I, I checked it out and I remember I, I think the ending like the way that the story unravels doesn't quite work perfectly but uh, but I think I had a good time with the rest and frankly if you think this movie's outlandish with the final cut then just remember that the ending the alternate ending is a musical it was supposed to be a musical number <laughs> which, which 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 when I saw that me and my wife immediately watched it because we were watching it on the blu-ray and so it's on the blu-ray so just just youtube the original original ending where it's a musical number and it's, choreo- so it's choreographed really well. it's it's crazy i'm i i think it was the right choice not to have that there but um this is to take this advantage is what I of her uh, pitch perfect kind of right name. right okay this next one i have for you is one that i watched uh, relatively recently and it was almost talked about it in the spinoff on one of these episodes but uh, christopher robin i found this to be a, a pretty charming movie and you have this at about like a two and a half yeah two and a half again i i stand by that i still think it's pretty good or like a pretty good rating um on my letterbox i have two and a half being just okay so i saw this when it came out in theaters i really loved the stuff with all the poo and tigger and the gang i thought that was all a lot of fun and it gives you all the same feelings that like the old cartoons do because obviously like any kid in america growing up i watched winnie the pooh as a kid um but obi-wan trying to be a better dad took up too much of the story for me. If I remember correctly, I just didn't fall in love with that too much. I wanted more of Pooh and Tigger and the gang. I didn't get quite enough of that. So that's okay. kind of where my two and a half came from because there's there's good stuff, but just doesn't quite take it all the way to the house. That's Yeah, that's fair. I mean, there's some, definitely some stuff in here that's pretty hokey, but, uh, but I, I thought it was charming. Uh, and sweet and you, maybe if I watched it again I, I might not love it as much but uh, I mean it was I just remember it being really weird because this also came around about the time right around that Domal Gleason Winnie the Pooh movie too which uh, I'm sure you saw because Domal Gleason so well he, have, he have was playing Christopher or he was playing the, the he was playing the author of the Winnie the Pooh books no I haven't seen that one is it good that one, I, I like that one a lot I don't I don't cry in movies all, uh, often but I was tearing up at the end of that one that it was it's really solid all right, I'll have to add it to my to my list. Uh, and I and I got one more for you. And this is Manchester by the Sea. You have this at about a three and a half, which is a good rating. I have this. I think this is either four and a half for me or five. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is really good. And well, Robert, here's here's the other thing: is I I'm not really offended by three and a half for this movie. But what I am offended by is as I was scrolling through your list, I saw that the boy was right next to it, and you have the boy at a three. And so, how is there only a half star difference between the boy and Manchester by the Sea? <laughs> So uh, this is probably the problem with with star ratings because I follow this one guy on Twitter who refuses to go on Letterboxd because star ratings uh, arbitrariness of it drives him crazy. So I saw Manchester by the Sea one time. 
not too interested in revisiting it, not because I didn't like it, but because uh, every bad thing that happens to a person happens to Casey Affleck in this. Yeah. I'm honestly surprised that I only gave it a three and a half. I would probably, um, if I had to go fix it, give it around a four or, or four and a half. So I'll probably do that <laughs> once we stop recording. <laughs> because thinking back on it, I, I do really like it a lot. Um, or I do think it's very good, at least. Um, sure. Casey Affleck is good. Michelle Williams is really good in it. I've watched the scene of him at the police station for whatever reason, just a few times on YouTube, just because I appreciate the acting and the filmmaking that goes into that scene. Yeah, that, that one's actually really well done. Um, <laughs> the boy, I watched that one once. I think I watched it with my brother. I don't know why that's a six. Uh, that one, I'll actually, right after I go raise Manchester by the Sea's rating, I'll lower the boy maybe into <laughs> two stars because I watched that with my wife and my brother and, we kind of had a good time laughing at it. So the the yeah. experience of watching it probably played into my overall rating of it. Yeah, I, I saw that with my, my girlfriend at the time. Not not my wife, different girlfriend. And uh, for one of her friend's birthday. And uh, even that was not enough to make me think that movie was remotely good. <laughs> so It's funny you bring that up, though, because I was going to bring it up later on. And I'm still going to do so. Cool. Awesome. That's, that's kind of crazy. So... Uh, <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks for playing along with what gives. Yeah. Uh, I hope that was fun for you because uh, it was definitely fun for me. And uh, the other part I wanted to do to get our note, get to know our writer this week is to, to just kind of follow up on what Ben and I were talking about with, uh, do you think you're, you are a Sif pop residential baseball expert. Do you think that adding mandatory alcohol to either the players or the commentators would make that a more enjoyable sport to watch for baseball? Yeah, sure. Because well, not more enjoyable, but more interesting because I enjoy baseball <laughs> as it is, as you already pointed out. I'm the resident baseball expert because I'm a huge yeah. baseball fan. I don't think it would make it more enjoyable, but it would definitely make it uh, entertaining where it might otherwise not be. Because I, I saw that you wrote down this question. I was, I'd like to hear the players mic'd up because that ha- that's been happening a lot these days. Yeah. Even like during the regular season this year in the, in baseball, they had players wearing mics and you could hear whatever they were saying. So I'd like to hear the kind of drunk thoughts that they would have just playing in the outfield uh, during a boring game or something like that. Uh, speaking of boring games, I'd like to hear the announcers maybe fall asleep after having a couple too many drinks. <laughs> like if, if, if there's a blowout. <laughs> yeah. If there's like a blowout, just one of the announcers just falls asleep because he's had too much to drink and there's nothing keeping his attention. Um, or like, you know, a perfect game. Because, <laughs> gosh, it's such a celebration, but what a boring game to watch. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, I think it could make it more entertaining depending on depending on the situation of the game. Cool. Well, thanks for answering that. And as always, I got one silly question for you, just kind of a random one for you. And that is, if if peanut butter weren't called peanut butter, what would it be called? (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Maybe just, no, I was thinking peanut jam, but jam is like a different consistency. Right. Peanut jello? (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) It's still a different consistency. It's called peanut butter for a reason, right? Right, exactly. And I, I don't know. Peanut I don't know goop. what peanut goop. There you go. There's no good answer to this question. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking like creamy yum yum, but <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not creative enough on the spot, but I like creamy yum yum a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, but what about crunchy? Pe- is it crunchy yum yum if it's the crunchy peanut butter? But it doesn't give you a sense of what the taste is going to be. That's why it's I cr- want to. It, no, it's it's creamy yum yum. It, that's that's. <laughs> Creamy, 
<laughs> creamy peanuts. I don't know. Cream, uh, let's go with creamy yum yum. <laughs> <laughs> creamy yum yum if it's the creamy version and crunchy yum yum. Yeah. If it's... <laughs> yeah. If, it, if that was what it's called, I think people would just know what it tastes like. So creamy yum yum and crunchy yum yum would work fine. That's true. But can you imagine like, yeah, we're going to make him a, uh, a creamy yum yum and grape sandwich for school today. <laughs> <laughs> Or like if there's a if there's a mom angry at her kid in the morning for not putting away the peanut butter, it's like put away the creamy yum yum. It's <laughs> like ridiculous things that you can't yell angrily. I just I love I love the imagery I have in my head right now. <laughs> anyway, on that note, let's somehow move on to to our coming attraction. This is a movie We're podcast. Talking about come, apparently. <laughs> We're going to be talking about, about Come Play. This is a movie that's coming out in theaters yeah. this week. Um, the original title for this was uh, was Larry. Larry. Um, synopsis, for this, synopsis for this movie is a monster named Larry that manifests itself through smartphones and mobile devices. Not a synopsis, but okay. <laughs> IMDb. A feature film version of the 2012 short film. That is, that is not a sentence. Oh, boy. <laughs> It's like a monster that named Larry that manifests itself through smartphones and mobile. Yeah, but that's the first part. You have to have your verb and then <laughs> yes. does this. Like, you know, follows around this young boy. There you go. Now you've got a sentence. That's how sentence structure works. Robert, we've done a little bit of looking into this. Uh, into this. <laughs> I don't know if you want to call it a movie. Uh, if this were going to be a theatrical release and there was no COVID or anything like that. Oh, well, this is a theatrical release, so we don't have to do that caveat this week. Uh, if there was no COVID in the world, do you think that you would uh, try to catch this movie opening weekend? Uh, wait to, for a matinee. Wait till it's a couple bucks cheaper. Uh, wait to rent this movie. Uh, wait until it's on a streaming service you already own. Are you just not interested in seeing this movie? Yeah, so the reason I was going to bring up The Boy initially is because when I first watched that, it was on Netflix just at home with my brother and my wife. Um, I think... I know I know Netflix isn't one of the options here, but th- that's the only way that I'd really watch this is if my brother was over and we were hanging out wanting to watch some crappy horror movie. I think we would throw on. Well, that's I mean, that, is, called? that is the Come option. Play. That's the or wait for a streaming service. That's right? the that's, that's yeah, that's the streaming service option. So yeah, that that that's so. my answer. I'd wait and watch it specifically with my brother and my wife because we had such a good time watching the boy. Um, other than that, I'm not interested. I'm in the not interested in watching this movie ever category. This uh, does not look like a fun time. I already don't, I don't really like horror movie stuff in general. If I'm going to watch something like, for example, when I was talking to Alice last week on the podcast, I I just started watching the haunting of Hill house. And Mm -hmm. here we are, it's 2020. And like, this has been out for two, it takes two solid years of people telling me this is a really good horror something for me to actually watch it. Um, cause I'm just not interested. It's not my, it's not my kind of thing. Uh, it's not, um, it's not anything I'm interested in. I don't like sub, uh, subjecting myself to fear at home. It's different if I'm at like an amusement park, but yeah. home is my safe space. I don't want to, I don't want to bring that evil in, into my, into my living room. Um, so it, it already it's the odds are working against me. This just doesn't look entertaining at all. It's not to say that it doesn't have things working for it. Uh, there's definitely some things that I like about it, but I mean, the creature design doesn't really look good. The, the director directing itself doesn't look good. This doesn't really spark me as anything that's going to be original or have some sort of big metaphor. Like, like a good example is like the Babadook. Like, I did not like that movie when watching it, but I like thinking about that movie because mm-hmm. of what it represents. This does not seem like it's going to be that way. It's going to be like, I think this is going to be a movie that just 
probably producers will throw money at any horror movie because they're bound to make money. Right. Yeah, this seems to fall in a specific category of horror movie. So, like, I promise this is the last reference to The Boy, but The Boy, like, the sort of movie where there's a female somewhere in her 20s or 30s going somewhere, usually with a kid, and that's when the horror ensues. So there's, like, The Boy, there's the the one with Natalie Dormer, uh, I think The Woods, where she's looking for a sister. It's normally, like, a TV star coming to do a horror movie. So there's those two. I'm also thinking uh, like Child's Play, the new one with Aubrey Plaza. This one has Gillian Jacobs from Community. There's also, I think, was it The Turning that came out with uh, Finn Wolfhard and um, she was in the San Junipero episode of Black Mirror. She was in the new... Oh, uh, Mackenzie Davis. Yeah, Mackenzie Davis. So yeah, this seems to be... Oh, that one has a 3.8 on IMDb. Yeah, it looked terrible. I wasn't going to be saying that. But... Uh, come play seems to be like a certain genre of horror movie that I'm just not really that interested in. Um, I didn't have a ton of thoughts on it other than my jokes and references, because I noticed the kid is the same kid from marriage story. So he's now, uh, experienced the horrors of divorce and the horrors of ghosts. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it doesn't look bad per se, because I think they're all just whatever they would all land, you know, like a star and a half to, two and a half stars for me probably um but it's also nowhere near special yeah this uh there are exactly three reasons why i'm interested in seeing this movie and that's you mentioned the the boy from marriage story is the star here as robertson uh gillian jacobs which we've already talked about and john gallagher jr who uh, i just i think is phenomenal in newsroom and short term 12 so uh, but it doesn't look like he's really gonna have a lot of screen time because he didn't have much of it in the in the trailer so that's the only three reasons why I'm interested in, interested in seeing this movie. Yet, it's not even close to get me to be like, yeah, I might even check that out. Yeah, you know, if it hit Netflix or something like that. I mean, this the, this is a writer director that's been in the industry for a long time, but he's never actually made anything like notable. Um, and so that's also kind of like, uh, I, I mean, sometimes that works really well, but also like, you know, the difference if this is like James Cameron's Come Play or yeah. Um, I don't some director that I really admire or well, who's the, who's the guy that did Midsommar? Like if this is Ari his Aster, movie, yeah. yeah. If this is Ari Aster's complaint, fine, maybe I'll check it out, but eh. yeah, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more um, because we have two more horror movies to talk about, but yep. Yeah. My last comment on come play, would just be that this director, Jacob chase, he's making this movie based on the short film that he did uh, yep. called Larry which is, I guess, the same story, but he's just expanding on it. That's what Damien Chazelle did for Whiplash. Yep. So a... let's keep our fingers crossed. Maybe we're going to be uh, kicking ourselves a year from now when this this wins Best Picture at the Oscars. Yeah, I, d- I definitely am usually interested in when, uh, when, when movies like this are based off of a show, because Whiplash is that prime example of, crap, that's good. Um, I know there's other examples that I just can't think off the top of my head. Uh, yeah. This movie come play looks like one that... I would maybe check out the short Larry. Uh, I I am right. no interest in seeing the hour and a half version of this, or at least, at least an hour and a half. How long is this freaking thing supposed to be? <laughs> Looks like they haven't released the runtime yet. Which that's promising. Movie's, <laughs> what the movie's supposed to release in like three days, dude? It doesn't look like it's going to get pushed back. Yeah, uh, they're pretty set on 
we're going to be the only movie in theaters in Halloween and there'll be like three movies out movie theaters open. So yeah, there's, uh, I've noticed yeah. there's some movies that are just still coming out. It looks like they have nothing to lose because they probably weren't going to make anything anyway. Like I, I considered going to see the, the new Liam Neeson movie. Cause I like turning my brain off and watching Liam Neeson action movies. I almost went and saw that sure. the other day. Um, just didn't get around to it, but like there's, there's still going to be these small movies that come out just because. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm still kind of tinkering every now and then with going to see New Mutants because that's still yeah. in theaters because there's been nothing else that's come out. Right. So go see Tenet for a third time. I saw it twice. Yeah. Any, anyway, I I I think that maybe I'd be interested in seeing Larry. I'm not interested at all in seeing Come Play. Um, also, and, what a terrible title for a horror movie. <laughs> both Larry and Come Play, right? Come Play. That kind of reminds me of like Child's Play. So Come Play is like close enough. I think it's an okay horror title, but Larry is just awful. Come Play sounds like it would be like an eighties B movie title. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like it belongs in a in a in a you know eighty pack with Killer Clowns from Outer Space and yeah. movies like that. Yeah, you're right. These are both bad titles. Uh, Come Play is better than Larry. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. Maybe Come Play could be a tagline, and that's that's about all that you would get. So I. I don't think I want to talk about this crap anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on and talk about some horror movies that we have actually seen and that many people do enjoy. Uh, I don't think we're going to be saying that about Come Play one day, but you never know. So first off, we're going to start talking about Halloween. Uh, Synopsis for Halloween, of course, the 1978 version, not the Rob Zombie reboot or the David Gordon Green reboot. The 1978 original John Carpenter Halloween. You can find the streaming on Shudder. Wait, I watched the 2018 version. You wanted me to watch the 1978? I can't tell if you're joking (laughs) because there's just enough lag. (laughs) I'm joking. The, uh, the synopsis for this movie is 15 years after murdering his sister on Halloween night, 1963, Michael Myers escapes from a mental hospital and returns to the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois, to kill again. This uh, movie has a 7.8 on IMDb, an 87 on Metacritic, and a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. That definitely is goat territory. A little bit more history about this movie is that it's widely considered to be the start of the resurgence of slasher films in the 80s uh, and helped to develop the genre to what it actually looked like. So because of Halloween, we are, you know, we can say thanks for Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th for people that like those movies. I just haven't seen them, so I don't lean one way or the other. But um, yeah, same. This also uh, popularized many slasher tropes uh, with the girl last is the girl, the last person standing. Uh, was originated in this movie, or at least popularized in this movie. Um, uh, drug users and sexual permi- sexual promiscuous people dying uh, was also um, popularized here. The villain having a theme song and absentee parents. The uh, original title for this movie was The Babysitter Murders. Gosh, I'm so glad they chose Halloween instead. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the uh, the Michael Myers mask was a William Shatner mask that they got from uh, I, I want to say like a home improvement store and then um, distorted it using bleach and hair gel and like rips and cuts and all that. And it's just a, a really interesting piece of trivia that I think a lot of people know. There was a 1983 video game 
uh, for the Atari 2600. There was seven sequels in the original run. Halloween 3, intending to make it more of an anthology, but that didn't really work, so they went back to Michael Myers. Uh, there are two movies in a rebooted universe with Rob Zombie, and there is the attempted Halloween or, or attempted reboot Halloween Returns in 2015, but Dimension lost the rights. And then there is a, another reboot, which is the 2018 Halloween, and then Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends coming out October 2021 and October 2022. There's also been several novels and comic book runs published about this series. And uh, the total budget for this movie was only 325000 I thought that was... You know, really, really impressive. Uh, the box office turned out to be seventy million worldwide, and the original mask only cost a dollar and ninety eight cents. Can you think <laughs> of a better two dollars spent in movies ever? Uh, no. At least, at least a more iconic two dollars. <laughs> no, not off the top of my head. That's crazy. Um, so before we dive into our thoughts about the movie, uh, Robert, you had mentioned that you have, or you had, you'd mentioned before that you had not seen this movie. So, mm-hmm. um, what's the reason for, for sitting on it for so long? Yeah. So I typically, like you were saying, I don't really like watching horror movies. Uh, I've gotten into them a little bit more recently, but only the recent ones. So like, I like get out or, uh, the new it or Midsommar stuff like that, but I haven't really gone back and watched any of the classics other than like the shining or alien or anything like that. So I thought Halloween was a good, a good example of a classic horror movie. I'd never seen in elementary school. I remember my friends who were cooler than me talked about scary movies that I was never allowed to see that they somehow saw. And, you know, I heard the names Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger and Jason and all that. Um, So I knew those names before I ever knew what the movies were about. So it's just interesting to me that I've known about Michael Myers for so long and it took me so long to finally see the movie that stars him. It was basically just interested in seeing a classic horror movie. Cool. Well, well, kind of while we're talking about this, Robert, what is your favorite horror movie of all time? I don't really have a favorite, but the ones that I just listed are some of my favorites. I also like The Shining. Um, okay. Yeah. Kind of lean towards the more modern ones because of... Just those are the ones that I've seen. So I like Get Out a lot. I like The Shining. Sure. I like Midsommar. Uh, it. Yeah. Only chapter one though, right? Yes. I hate chapter two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think my, my favorite horror movie of all time is the original Alien. I think that is just, it's a, about as good as horror can be done. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I would say The Shining is also up there because of Kubrick's filmmaking techniques just to make you uncomfortable. It, it's it's great. Yeah. yeah um, regardless the on the difference, difference between the source material. So I think those are the, those are the two that I usually pin. Nice. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm also a big fan of sinister. So if I had to give three, I'd say, I'd say probably those three. Nice. I've never seen sinister. Yeah. Scott Derrickson. Pretty excellent. <laughs> oh, he did uh doctor strange, right? Yep. Yeah. That's the only thing I know him from. Yep. Um, and then the, uh, kind of, kind of the other one is, I guess if we can count like cabin in the woods or Tucker and Dale versus evil or something like that, I'd throw those in the mix as if well. If you're, if you're going by that, then I need to amend my statement and say Shaun of the dead is my favorite. Ooh, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a great one too. So we're zombie land, of course. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, we're talking about, we're talking about Halloween and the birds. Uh, so the first time I saw this was last year, uh, with the 4k re-release. I went ahead and picked that up. Cause I'm like, you know, if there's a time to watch it, why not, you know, when it's released, re-released on 4K mm-hmm. and, you know, it's one of those cheap 4Ks. It was like 15 bucks when it came out and the reviews said, yeah, this is probably the most definitive version that you're going to get. Like, it's definitely worth the extra couple bucks. If this was like a 20 or $30 movie, 
different story, but it's only 15 and this is better. And so that, that was that, uh, probably my first exposure to this franchise was playing call of duty four on my Xbox 360 because you would get a local group of friends and play Michael Myers. And if you know, you know, and, um, I think, I think that was probably my first exposure, but, uh, uh, and I, I was excited to revisit this just because Michael or uh, excited to visit it the first time just because Michael Myers is just so iconic. Yeah. And uh, uh, there's lots about this movie that's just iconic. And I was just like, all right, well, sure. The biggest reason why I don't like horror movies is because there's so many not good ones. There's percentage wise, I think the the largest scale of movies that aren't good fall in horror, like at least in terms of like all the horror movies made, you know, like maybe like whatever percentage I like, whereas like thrillers or dramas or, right. you know, action movies. I just, I think that the percentage for Halloween for, um, horror, horror movies significantly up, but, uh, but now that we've talked about all that, um, we can actually start talking about Halloween, uh, Halloween, uh, Robert, you saw this for the first time. Did you wind up, uh, did you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? I think I'm teetering between high side of okay and low side of liked it because, okay. I was uh, quite underwhelmed, to be honest, because, you know, when the first couple of times I went back and watched iconic horror movies like this was The Shining and Alien, and they both lived up to everything that I ever heard. Uh, so I was hoping and expecting the same for Halloween. And I didn't really think it was that great. It had some good moments, um, but I really think it would be better. Maybe it's like a 35 minute movie instead of hour and a half, because I think it is way longer than it needs to be, even at 91 minutes. I'll leave it at that for now. Okay. I I think I like this movie. I'm on the high side of liked it, though. I, I'm not in the loved it camp, um, although my rating on Letterboxd probably reflects differently. Um, and it's again, it's just like there are very few horror movies that I would say I love. Mm-hmm. I think this is a well-done movie, and I can appreciate um, you know, given the time that it came out. Uh, and I think there's a lot of like little stuff that this movie does really well. But yeah, it, it definitely is only an hour and a half, but it definitely feels a little longer. Uh, there's definitely a lot of unnecessary. And uh, let, let's let's just dive into it. What's the first thing you want to talk about? I will say I was liking it in the first 10 or so minutes. Um, I was liking it a lot because I normally am not a fan of uh, opening credits that are just like over a black screen or over just like one thing. If opening credits are like showing a town that the movie's going to take place in or something like that, then I think they're used a little bit more effectively. Um, but this time I thought they, I I really liked it because, um, right off the bat, I was getting into the sinister feeling with the Michael Myers theme was playing and the, the pumpkin is just consistently getting bigger in the frame. Um, so I I thought that was really well done. Um, I also didn't realize this one introduced Jamie Curtis. It was her first or Jamie Lee Curtis. It was her first movie. Um, I was surprised to see introducing Jamie Lee Curtis in the opening credits well and it should also be noted too that james cameron uh not james cameron i'm gonna say that um probably a couple times but john carpenter uh same people right they're both the same person yeah um john carpenter cast jamie lee curtis because they thought it was the ultimate tribute to hitchcock because jamie lee curtis's mother is the um gosh i can't remember her name and i feel awful but uh the main star of psycho and so janet lee he janet lee that's right and so he he saw this as a tribute to she was an unknown person at the time and became an arguably the biggest horror movie of all time. And, yeah. and, uh, and so John Carpenter wanted to do the, the same thing. 
I, I'm glad that we're starting off talking about this because I think the intro is really cool. Normally when there's intros like this, I tend to fast forward through them. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of yeah. that is because especially with some of these older movies that we're talking about, like it's just like titles or, you know, they would do the credits at the beginning or in the end or anything. And I just fast forward through them because you don't really get much out of them. But, you know, if you're scrolling over a city or if you're, you know, following characters or whatnot, there, you could still get, get some use for it. And yeah, this one is really a mood setter. Um, and, uh, and I think that the score, the score constantly plays in a time where it seems like essentially the score itself is saying that Michael Myers is coming. Mm -hmm. And so I think that having the score in the beginning is just a way of saying Michael Myers is coming. And I, I think that this, this has to be the most iconic horror score of all time, right? Uh, yeah, from my very limited knowledge is the only one that I would know outside of having seen the movie. Cause like I recognized, I recognized the theme before watching the movie. So yeah. Yeah, well, and like, can you Nate? Can you hum the Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the Thirteenth theme? Or no, no, neither. Can I. I don't know if they have one. I just, <laughs> but, but you can know the Halloween theme, and it's, yeah. it it gets you in all the tingles. So, uh, and it's also so much more special too that John Carpenter did the score himself. He did he did the music himself. I think partly to save money, but it it's special when a director does that. See, the score ends up becoming a pro and a con for me. Because in the beginning, in this first 10 minutes, I think it's done really well. It sets the mood and all that. And I even saw a score done by John Carpenter. I said to my wife, I was like, wow, see that? That's the that's the director. That's impressive. And then like 45 minutes into the movie, when it kept playing the same theme over and over, she turned to me and she said, maybe it's a little less impressive now that it's the same guy doing the, the theme or the score and the directing because it's just the same music over and over. And that kind of gets into my biggest con of the movie, if you're ready for that. And it's just that there's sure. repetitive shots of Michael Myers standing sinisterly looking at someone and then he'll attack or come close to attacking. And then it's the same thing over and over and over and over. And that's why I wish you could cut that by about a third or a half and then keep the movie shorter and have like a higher uh, sustained intensity because I the intensity just wasn't sustained there for me because by the end, I really wasn't too worried about him anymore because all he ever did was stand around. Um, and then, sure. yeah, by the end, he gets taken down like a punk. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think I agree with you on that. Um, kind of, I, I agree halfway with you on that because sure. I do think that, um, I, I think that at some point, the shots of him just kind of standing a little bit, the repetitive shots uh, do maybe get a little bit old. And frankly, like, the action sequences are just not shot well. They're I mean, they're probably shot well because they're not like quick cuts and all that, but they're 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 not really in a way that seems legitimate. Like I'm not actually scared because like and, and specifically I think of the closet scene with Jamie Lee Curtis at the end and like yeah, it's iconic and it's special and all that, but like I, I you could especially when she like lunges forward with that coat hanger, which like I know was iconic horror fans, please don't hate me. But it's just not really great. Uh it doesn't hold up well. But but I think the magic of this movie is is not the action scenes because there isn't much action scenes. Michael Myers doesn't really wrestle with killing anybody except for Laurie. He just kind of does it pretty quickly. But his his constant presence is what makes this movie suspenseful and scary. And especially like seeing um, if you rewatch it, if you just try to watch in the peripherals, 
Michael Myers is in the background of a lot of the movie. Yeah. Like I think the most famous example is um, at the very beginning when Loomis is tracking down, he tracked the car to Haddonfield or something like that. Um, and he's talking with the sheriff and he's kind of explaining Michael Myers. Like he's in the like very back distant of that shot. And, and then part of it too is I know Car- Carpenter's vision for this character is he's the essence of pure evil. Uh, he didn't want to give him a personality. He wanted him to be the embodiment of evil and seeing the embodiment of evil kind of standing around is effective. Yeah. So ironically, I'll disagree partly with what you said because I did like the killing scenes because that was one of the, the scenes that I did feel legitimate terror was when uh, like the closet scene, because how easy can you imagine being backed into a closet and like, having almost no way to escape other than a Hail Mary of poking the guy in the eye with a hanger, which may or may not even may or may not even work. Um, It it was almost like the shining, you know, seeing him bash in the the screening or whatever you call it, or the closet doors like that. um, And the, the scene in the car and the scene in the kitchen and even the scene with the dog and the one in the bedroom, like every, every one of those killings has something sinister and scary about it that, uh, really worked for me. It was just the stuff in between that didn't make those scenes hit as hard for me as I wanted them to. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm not saying that the, the setup of the, of the scenes were more of my problem. I think the idea of, yeah, luring into a closet, you don't have a weapon or anything. I thought, I thought that was a really good place to put your stuff. I just think that it, the, the choreo, the action choreography just does not hold up well. And I get, yo, you're working on a very limited budget, and yeah. this is before action choreography was very good. Um, you know, it, it, especially you know if you go back and watch the old James Bond movies, it's laughable. Which we're gonna watch an old James Bond movie next week, but but I don't. At least to some extent, again, the action scenes are very few because for the most part, like I said, Michael Myers just gets his killed on quick, like with whatever. Uh, Dennis Quaid's ex-wife's boyfriend <laughs> whenever he dies and like pins him to the pantry like it's it's super quick I know <laughs> you know who I'm talking about right? yeah, the yeah. with glasses yeah. Bob yeah Bob uh, is the character's name but it, it kind of also talking about since we're talking about like his presence in that I, th- I think that's the most effective thing in this movie and uh, but it also kind of takes forever for the plot to actually happen but I still feel suspense because I can feel his presence and because you know, you have the scenes like where uh, um, Lori is walking with uh, her friend and Michael Myers is like standing by a hedge and then he just moves. And then as soon as they get to it, like he's gone, like you still feel he's he's picked her out and is going to follow her. And uh, um, and you, you just kind of feel like, all right, at any, at any moment it could happen. I mean, it's not going to for for a while, but uh, um it still feels really suspenseful even after a repeat viewing. And so this is what I was going to say earlier about what I tweeted out and like, oh, yeah. hear me out <laughs> okay. just for a second, a John Carpenter Terminator movie. So what are you going for with that? <laughs> like what, what different uh, ideas are you going for there? So one of the things I think that the first Terminator does really well is Schwarzenegger is not a fast moving mach- like machine. He's not like this ultra ultra fighting weapon. He's he's a presence, and you know mm. if he catches up to you, you're screwed. And so I want to see 
that element brought back. That's why I think the first Terminator is really good. And the second one is, is, is good because you have these updated model and all that, but like, and it, and it kind of, ex, it's, it expands the world a lot. Uh, and you have uh, the focus on John Connor himself and Schwarzenegger is a good guy. Like I hated dark fate. <laughs> uh, but I think, I think if you go back to the roots, if you get like a, a slow Terminator or you get a clever Terminator, you get, you get a type like this and you have a, a horror movie director like John Carpenter do it. That that's the thing that's going to get me back into the Terminator franchise after, after Genesis and dark fate. I'm just, I'm not interested in revisiting this franchise. See, now that you say that in thinking of like a more horror Terminator instead of action Terminator would be really interesting. Uh, so I'd be down for that. And I've only seen the first two Terminators. I mean, th- three in salvation. I enjoy um, they're definitely a step down in quality, but Salvation's the one where Christian Bale like went off on people on set, right? Yep. <laughs> okay. What What else is something you want to say about this movie? Yeah. So two things. One, since we're talking about uh, Michael Myers still, and we're talking about just his presence, the thing that I did think was extremely effective about like the scenes where you just see him standing, or it's the the point of view shots from over his shoulder, was the breathing. Um, This came out the year after Star Wars, the original Star Wars. So I don't know how much that affected them, but it almost seemed like they said, you guys wanted to do an iconic breathing with Star Wars. Let's do one that scares people. You know, let's do one that frightens them and terrifies them. Since I'm a wimp, I watched the movie with the lights on pretty early in the evening. But if I watched that later later at night with all the lights off, you know, by myself, I think that would have creeped me out a whole lot more than it did. Um, and I appreciated how it was being intended to creep you out. So it's pretty much the horror version of Darth Vader because Darth Vader is supposed to be scary for the main characters of Star Wars. But kids want to dress up as Darth Vader for Halloween because he's awesome. He's got a lightsaber. He has the force. You know, Michael Myers, like you were saying earlier, he's pure evil. So just hearing that breathing, all that is supposed to do is instill fear and not like childful glee. So I, yeah. I really love that. Sure. And that's one of those things that I wanted to bring up as well. The breathing, especially at the end credits, is yeah. very effective. I think I think that's just excellent. It, it really kind of puts you in that in that end mood. That It's very effective. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I really like that. And kind of on a similar note, I'm a sucker for some point of view footage. Uh, like, I really like when movies do that. I have not seen the movie Doom, but you guarantee I've watched that clip on YouTube of the of the POV footage uh, because I'm, I'm a sucker for that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. I love when they can put me in a, in a character's place and, and make it feel like I'm, I am that person for a second. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I think that here uh, it really works uh, specifically. I'm thinking of the very beginning yep. where we yeah. kind of follow Michael Myers as a, as a kid kind of, kind of following around and, you know, it makes sense, you know, and it, especially when it gets to POV and he puts on the mask and you just see the mask and, it's really it's really effective uh i really like that stuff and i get that it's kind of kind of following up with that scene i get that it's cinematic for when michael's parents come home and the camera slowly 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 pans out as they see their kid in a (laughs) clown costume with a knife but like not one of them is going to go check on the sister yeah like (laughs) i was thinking that too they're just kind of frozen there standing with him but it it makes for a great shot yeah and that's where i give movies a pass you know it's like it's very cinematic sure. and it works well in in, uh, in movie world. But if it was real life, obviously it's like, parents, what are you doing? 
Well, and same thing for at the very end of the book. I mean, Michael Myers should not have survived the poking in the eye and the however many shots to the chest. And I'm pretty yeah. sure Laurie stabs him too. I mean, he, and then the fall from the second floor, like he, he just shouldn't have survived, but for some reason he does. And like, again, it's cinematic value. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to like, you know, knock it for that. I just, I, I am going to knock it for that, but it's not actually going to affect my judgment of the movie. Right. It's also a horror movie where that kind of stuff tends to happen more often. Um, But I did want to add one more thing about point of view shots, because I thought that was a great twist. Um, For me, it was a twist at the beginning when it's Michael Myers as a kid. I did think like, oh, look, that hand is really small. But for whatever reason, it didn't register that it's a little kid. Um, Maybe it it has something to do with the fact that I knew the, the killer in this movie is so iconic 50 years later that like he's this adult character that I was expecting it to be an adult making his, like this is the first time you see him make a kill. But I, I thought that was pretty cool when you see him take off the mask and it, and it's little kid Michael Myers. And I was like, Oh wow. Origin story. But I thought that was, that was a pretty cool moment. Yeah. I, I don't think that affected me as much only because I had known, like I Halloween is one of those movies that I feel like I had already known a lot about before I actually saw. I feel like, I feel like there's a lot of movies and some of them that we'll talk about, like we're talking about Rocky next year. And I feel like Rocky's a movie that I've seen definitely bits and pieces of. And I feel like I know that story yeah. pretty intimately, but I've never actually seen the full movie, uh, especially let alone in one sitting. And so I feel like Halloween was the same way. And so I, and definitely the intro and outro scenes I had really known. I mean, also the fact that the, the sister, Michael's sister says, uh, uh, says his name, Michael, um, when he, when he walks into the room and I mean, sure could be with, and kind of while we're talking about that, I really only have two points, two other points. And this is, this is one of them is I really appreciate how, it seems like slasher. This is another reason why I don't typically watch slasher movies is because they just try to get away with stuff just because they can. They try to just, you know, a, a slasher will go after a young couple having sex just so they can show boobs or something like that. Or, mm-hmm. And they really only want to show boobs. So they can draw in extra audience. That's just like, I just came for the boobs. And like, it, it, sometimes it's very obvious. And like, that's not something that's going to get me interested in a movie. And it, for that reason, it really pulls me out of a movie a lot of the times. Uh, the exception being something like Cabin in the Woods, where they're playing into a stereotype uh, and all that. But yeah. but I love that this movie gave a reason uh, why Michael My- Myers would target people kind of in that position because he he, he had a similar s- experience with his sister. And so I, I just I like how it wasn't just boobs for the sake of boobs. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that also plays into uh, one of the biggest themes of the, of the movie, which I read afterwards, wasn't intended by John Carpenter. But it's kind of like um, chastity or being quote unquote pure is the the quote unquote right way to go. Again, this is not me saying this is what I believe, but like it's almost what the movie is saying um, because all the couples that are having sex, they're the ones that get killed. Um, and then at the end, Jamie Lee Curtis, Lori, she doesn't want to go out with the boy, doesn't isn't interested in going to homecoming or prom or whatever the dance was. And she's the one who stays away from all that stuff while her two friends are all all about it, talking about it the whole time. And she's the one who sure. survives at the end. So it's it's an interesting message, at least, that whether or not well, it was intended. The intended message was not people who are sexually promiscuous are bad and deserve to die or people no. that abstain are, are worthy of life. That's that's not the intended message. But the message was they, they were very clear. The message was 
the all the all the characters that wind up dying do die because the only thing they're focused on is sex. They're not worried about they're only single single minded. And I mean, they're not trying to necessarily say a message there. They're not trying to to necessarily be preachy or anything like that, but they're just trying to say Michael Myers is so effective because people that are focused on on sex, especially you know, in in the act, are focused on exclusively that. And so that's why Michael Myers is so effective. So, yeah, that's a, that's also a great a great point to bring up too. Yeah, it also um, explores fate um, because it has the the classic scene in a school classroom talking about uh, another piece of of literature, saying, "What is this yep. this thing's theme?" And typically, when they say whatever that thing's theme is, that's one of the themes of the movie that you're watching. Um, so they're talking yep. about fate. So I was looking out for that theme out there as well. Um, and I yeah, and like I mentioned earlier, that's the whole reason I watch movies to see what someone's trying to say. Yeah. Do you do you have any other notes? Yeah. The last idea that I'll bring up is um, it's almost like Jaws in that it's lower it's lower budget helped it to excel. So I wrote down a few things that I read afterwards uh, were a certain way because of the budget. Some of it's just fun trivia, and that's like the actors had to wear their own clothes. Like there was no costume department. They hmm. filmed in California, which doesn't have the same kind of fall season that Illinois would have. Uh, the mask, which you brought up earlier, sure. which is the, the Captain Kirk mask. The house, they had to tear it all apart and refurnish it and all that. And you mentioned what that it used to have a different title. I don't remember the other title was, but it was going to be filmed over the course of a few days. Or the movie was going to take place over the course of a few days. But due to budgetary restrictions and not being able to go to different locations and... Uh, not being able to afford costumes and all that, they decided to set it all in one night and Halloween being the scariest night of the year, it works really well. And I think the movie benefits from all that. So yeah, I, I think that all, all of that worked uh, in, in unison to kind of make the movie better. Just like in Jaws, you're not able to see the shark because they weren't able to, to make a shark and that the, the, the th- looming threat of the shark is what makes that movie so good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I, I like how, how you've talked about all those budgetary restrictions actually being a pro for the movie. I, I, I think I, I, I know I agree with you there, especially the, the fall one, because as somebody who has lived in or right next to Illinois, my whole life, man, Halloween is freezing every night. No. <laughs> uh, la- last year we had snow and 20 degrees. And this year, I mean, this year we've already had two inches of snow. Seriously, I mean, it went yeah. away quickly. So it's, it's yeah. I, no way you're getting a Halloween night that is as good there. In yeah, Illinois, but... the girls are walking around in like skirts and no, no problem right. at all. Light jackets. Right. Apparently, you right. can even see palm trees in the background of, of some shots. I didn't notice it, but I read that there's some hidden mm. palm trees, which I've never been to Illinois, but I wouldn't assume that they're just hanging around in, in the streets there. <laughs> right. Yeah. The I think the, the only last two notes that I have about this. Uh, well, I have one note about this movie, one kind of in the franchise in general, is that uh, Dr. Loomis is nothing but an exposition piece, this movie. He he serves the beginning really well when he says, this is Michael Myers and this is why he's a threat. But I think it kind of bogs the movie down. And I understand that future adaptations make something, or future sequels and extended universe stuff kind of makes Dr. Loomis a more important character. 
uh, and a character that's you know worth being around. But it, in terms of just this movie, and you know, we have to think in terms of when they make a first movie, they're not planning a franchise; they're planning a movie. If it does well, they can talk about other stuff, especially back here in the seventies. Yeah. But yeah, Loomis is is nothing but an exposition piece in this movie, and it, it's a little bit of a shame. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. I guess it's mostly true. There is the stuff about him being scared that um, has the bare minimum of characterization there of just like him knowing what Michael is capable of and what he is because of his experience with him. But yeah, that's mostly just to say, look how scary and soulless Michael Myers is. So I'll agree with you like right. 90% there. I, again, it doesn't necessarily make the movie bad. I, no, I think, I no. think to some degree I, that really helps the movie because if this you know, doctor that's been in charge of him is terrified of him, then we should be terrified of him. Right. Who's known him for 15 you know, years. Right. Exactly. So, you know, when, when, when the doctor at Arkham Asylum comes out and says, look, this guy, the Joker, he crazy as hell. Like you believe him. Yeah. So, yeah. That's the, the other note I had to say is more so about this franchise in general. I, I kind of wish that in hindsight, I, I kind of wish that Halloween two would have, would have started in an anthology. And cause I, I would be a very interested in seeing, more anthology by John Carpenter done on Halloween night and done that as opposed to this Michael Myers character. And, and maybe that's an unpopular opinion because I don't I haven't seen any, the only Halloween movies I've seen are the original and the 2018 reboot. But uh, I, I think I'm kind of more interested in, in that, especially because uh, how much can you really explore the character of Michael Myers and, and how much can he actually survive and get away with and how many times can he break out and whatnot? Like, yeah, uh, by the only, by the original movie alone was iconic enough. And then I think you do this like an anthology and you don't do it like American horror story or something like that, where you, where you recast the same actors, but then you know, somewhere down the line, Michael Myers returns to get Laurie like Halloween, like four or something like that as opposed, well, I mean, he is in four, and that's really only his third appearance, but you, you do it work, you know, eventually he can come by and maybe you can have it intersect with, with other, other properties there. But I, I think I'm more interested in the anthology aspect, but I mean, given the way that everything has gone, I really liked the 2018 Halloween, but again, that's as somebody who has only seen the original. So yeah, I've never uh, seen any of the other ones and I really don't plan to, so I don't have any strong or weak thoughts on any of the sequel stuff. The last thing I did want to mention, though, before we move on, is that at one point they say Michael Myers was six when he killed his six sister. Yep. Then it says 15 years later. Yep. And then in the credits, it says Michael Myers, 23. 23. And be 21. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I was just confused by that. Yeah, I saw that goof as well. I mean, yeah, I didn't I didn't even read that. I was proud of myself for noticing. I was like, I can do basic math and that's wrong. So, yeah, um, Robert, Halloween, do you see yourself? seeing this movie at some point again well i uh i picked it up on blu-ray because i bought it on amazon for like six bucks so i have it now so maybe around halloween time in the future i might throw it on just because i'm in the mood for a horror movie so yeah i might revisit it sometime yeah um I, the only time i seen it was a year ago and i probably wouldn't have watched it this year because of that but i could see myself turning this on every couple of years i just typically don't watch horror stuff except for you know around halloween era just because tis the season like I, said, I don't like to yeah, I don't. I don't like to to subjugate myself to that kind of stuff. But um, and and the last question there is: This movie a goat? Again, we've not really done a good job of defining this, but not for me, but yes for horror history. I would say the same exact thing. I would say this movie is essential for people that are 
uh, fans of horror. This is yeah. this it, without this movie, I don't think that many of the following horror stuff would have looked as good um, or would have been as you know special. Um, you know, maybe Friday the Thirteenth wasn't actually ever made or very good save with nightmare on elm street all that but yeah i think if if we're making a horror movie list that yes this is a go but as far as like film in general is this movie a go i i think i agree with you i i like this movie i really do i would recommend it to, to somebody but if i'm putting together a criterion collection this one just isn't on it yeah maybe just because it's john carpenter and he's so iconic but it seems like we took different roads but we ended up at the same place yeah Cool. Well, then let's move on to The Birds. The Birds is a 1963 movie. If you're interested in checking it out on a streaming service, you can find it on Peacock. Synopsis here is a wealthy San Francisco socialite pursues a potential boyfriend to a small northern California town that slowly takes a turn for the bizarre when birds of all kinds suddenly begin to attack people. A little bit of a legacy about this movie is that uh, it has 7.7 on IMDb and 90% or 90 on Metacritic and a 95 on Rotten Tomatoes. That mm. seems, again, pretty pretty goat-worthy. Yeah. Um, this is loosely based on a 1952 story from, I'm not even going to try, a French uh, author. There was a sequel in 1994 with nearly no connections to the first movie, uh, although uh, the the main actress, um, Tippi Hedren, was in the movie, but she was playing a different character. It was very poorly received. It's called Playing Birds a different to character. End. Yes. Okay. Yep, the, this was nominated for the Best Visual Effects Oscar. That was mm-hmm. that was it. Uh, and for the Golden Globes, this one promising female newcomer with Tippi Hedren, although she did share it with two other actresses. I don't know how that worked, but we're talking 60s Golden Globes. So <laughs> this, uh, this won the Horror Hall of Fame Award in 1991, which the Horror Hall of Fame was the award show by Robert Englund, and it only ran for three years. So I, don't, I also don't know how a movie from 1963 wins an award show in 1991, but it did. Somebody can educate me on Twitter if they if they really want yeah, to correct my ignorance. Uh, AFI voted this the seventh greatest thriller in American cinema. Preserve, it was preserved in the National Film Registry in 2016. And the last note that we really should mention about this movie is that this movie in particular has some of the most quote-unquote Hitchcock stories. Uh, although none are confirmed, they are widely believed believed to be true and were brought up after Hitchcock's death. So some a lot of the things that made Hitchcock a problematic director, a lot of them are from specifically this movie. And so we shouldn't let that go uh, untalked about. But we're here to talk about the art, not the artist. So um, Robert, you had seen this movie before, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I saw it a while back. Just going through a Hitchcock run at some point? Yeah, because I'm still not very deep into it. But I, yeah, I like Hitchcock. Um, the reason I watched it was because, again, story from my childhood was one time I was driving around with my mom and she saw a bunch of birds together on like telephone wires or something. And she told me about this movie called The Birds. And ever since then, I've had it on my radar <laughs> and I finally decided to watch it a while back. Nice. Uh, I, I don't have a history with this movie. My I think the first time I ever heard of this was I was in high school and my film literature teacher who showed me Rear Window for the first time. So my first ever Hitchcock experience, she had mentioned the birds, but she had kind of mentioned it in a negative way. Uh, par- but part of that, too, is she has uh, a fear of birds. Mm. And so I think she kind of just said, like, she doesn't she didn't like it for that reason. But I, I just kind of got the sense that she also just th- didn't think it was a very well put together movie. 
Um, and again, I just really didn't get into older movies until two or three years ago, maybe even more recently. But I was excited to watch this movie because Hitchcock, it was definitely on my radar. Um, this And this is one of the more well-known Hitchcock movies. You know, yeah. I, I, every time I go to his filmography, I'm like, man, he did a lot more than I thought he did. But this is, uh, yeah, this is definitely one of his more well-known uh, movies. So. so, Robert, you've seen this movie twice now. Do you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? I think I'm in liked it. Because I'm I'm actually not a huge fan of birds either, so that does make it more effective. But overall, I still don't think, uh, upon my second viewing, I still don't think it really lives up to the other Hitchcock movies that I've seen, namely, you know, Psycho, Rear Window, even um, Shadow of a Doubt, the one that we watched, Rope. You know, I think those are all really great, and this one is just, it's good. It's almost similar to Halloween in that the birds loom over the movie the whole time they're always there there's always something about them that is uh just kind of there creeping you out but yeah overall i think it's kind of lacking in um i just don't connect to the characters very much and it doesn't grab me the way a lot of his other movies do yeah i i agree with that sentiment but i like this movie less than you i am teetering between it's okay and i didn't like it Hmm. I don't know where exactly I'm going to land. Uh, I think I just need more time because I, I started this movie yesterday, but couldn't couldn't get around to finishing it. And uh, and so I finished it up this morning. And so I, just, I, I haven't had a ton of time to process, but I definitely think this movie is okay at best. Probably I lean towards towards didn't like it for, for lots of different reasons and uh i love hitchcock uh, the only the only movies that i've seen which we talked about when we saw when we did rope uh, I, i've really enjoyed uh, i think that they're either great or excellent and uh man this movie just, i didn't like it <laughs> why not um, well first of all i want to i want to i want to go back you you mentioned that you don't you have a you have a fear of birds and man the most hitchcockian thing i've ever heard is that at the premiere of the movie when people were walking out he he had a bunch of birds brought in to to kind of like be in the area to be flying around as people were leaving the theater yeah <laughs> um, if that was indoors i would be waiting until someone cleared <laughs> cleared out the birds to walk out <laughs> Or finding a different exit. Sure. I, I didn't think that the setup was necessary at all. Uh, I really didn't like any of the Tippy Hedren going up and, and trying to find out more about this guy and potentially get him to you know, ask her out or whatever. I, I, it's a long movie. It's two hours. I, I, this could be way shorter easily. This could be an hour and a half easily. I was thinking the same thing. Seriously, this movie takes 50 minutes for the birds to actually start attacking people aside from the one bird that clips Tippy Hedron in the head pretty pretty quick. Well, not pretty quick, but that's still like a half hour in the movie. It takes it takes 50 minutes for the birds to actually start birding. Um <laughs> I have a note here that said, I swear, the last thing that Hitchcock is interested in the birds is the birds. <laughs> well, isn't that kind of the point, though, that the birds are used as a plot device, sort of like Michael Myers is used as a plot device? I was noting, noticing a few similarities between these two. That's why I'm going back to Halloween, because it's all man versus nature. The ideas of moving from one type of locale to another. I guess we can get into the themes now, because... I think the main theme is Melanie goes from San Francisco, which is obviously this big, busy city, to Bodega Bay, which is this quaint town on a river, body of water, whatever it is, the ocean probably. It's a small town out there. And at one point, someone even says that the birds, they've been here for forever, but they've never gotten violent like this until you appeared. Yep. It's trying to say something 
I don't know exactly what, but it's trying to say something about the intrusion of a busy, a busybody into like this quaint, very laid back, very people like people enjoy their lives. They, they enjoy the little things. They're not rushing around in the city life. It's trying to say something about uh, that sort of life. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know the theme of this movie. I don't know the message. I don't know the metaphor. I don't, I don't know that there is a metaphor because I mean, immediately, like I was trying to find it, and I, I just couldn't. There's, there's no reason ever given to why the birds are acting violently, and it's gonna sound bad, but because of that, I had happening vibes. You know, it, it, the happening was like, well, the Earth is retaliating because the people are treating it badly. Not to say that the happen, it, it's, it's a shame because the happening is not a good movie, <laughs> and so I just felt kind of like at least the happening gave us an answer. <laughs> I, I don't understand like it it's there's not a metaphor here that I that I thought was noticeable. There's not a clear like nature versus nurture. There's not a clear like environmental message. Like even the original Godzilla is an environmental message. Mm-hmm. Like and many of the Godzilla movies are an environmental message. I just I, I, I didn't catch it. I I couldn't I don't think that there is one. I think Hitchcock just got the story and he's like, Oh, I can make a story about a bunch of birds terrorizing people and he got the script and you know went to go figure it and he's like, Well, okay, well, we got to do the source material. And so I guess we got to do all the setup, but it'll be worth it because when I get to have the birds attacking people, you know, it's going to be in Hitchcockian style. And I, so I do think that there is the theme. I think what I was saying earlier about like, it's anti like this busy lifestyle. It's more like appreciating your world, appreciating the people around you, that sort of thing. Um, But I do think it also, like, I'm not saying it's perfect because it has that theme because I do think it gets lost in a lot of other stuff, namely like the romantic storyline and the mother not wanting Mitch to find love for some reason. Like, I don't think any of that really works. I'm going to disagree by saying I don't think you need an explanation for why the birds are acting the way they are, because it's a story that's trying to teach you something. Because with a very recent example, Us went too far into explaining, and it's my only drawback with movies, I really mm-hmm. love Us, it went too far into explaining the ideas of like why there's duplicates of everybody. If they had just presented it as there's these duplicates and here's this socioeconomic message, then I think it would be a 10 out of 10 for me instead of a eight or nine out of 10 for me. So yeah, I completely agree with that. I think us is a better movie than the birds overall, but I think the birds does that one thing better than what us is trying to do. It just gets lost in the weeds elsewhere. Well, but the problem with something like this example of, and this is why I have a problem with the birds not not explaining why sure. is is because if you want to make a movie about birds attacking people and explain why, fine. I don't need a I don't need a metaphor. I don't know. I don't need a movie try to say something deeper. Birds are attacking people. Got it. But I don't have a reason for birds attacking people. And and if 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 it wants to go into a metaphor, it wants to be a theme. Fine, I, I don't understand it. I, I, I think I, I understand here the themes. It, it looks like Tippi, Tippi Hedren is enjoying her life in this small this small town as opposed to San Francisco. I think I think she looks like she would enjoy it based off the way that she's reacting. But what on earth does it have to do with the birds coming? Other The only message that could bring out is potentially that small town people don't like outsiders. <laughs> and uh, this, this community doesn't look like 
like they would say that especially you know, the the shop owner at the very beginning it is very welcoming and, and very yeah. sweet but yeah but first so like for something him. like us I, I think you could take out all the reasoning and you could still have a good message that's why i agree with you i think that us went a little bit too far into trying to explain stuff but you could take out all the explanation and still have a good message without any exp- explanation about what that movie is trying to convey. I just I don't have either of those in the. I need one or the other. I need you to right. to give me a message or just explain to me why what's happening and be like birds are attacking people and here's why. There's your scenario. It's like cool, but the fact that I don't have either is really what why I didn't like this movie. I, that's 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 the main part. But we've already talked about how it's it's pretty long and. Uh, it's a really elaborate setup that's completely unnecessary. Right. So I'll mostly agree with what you just said, because I, I think that it has the idea. It just doesn't execute the idea very well. You know, the idea of a city person going to a small town. So that's where I'll agree. If the message had been more clear, if the theme had been more poignant, then maybe you could have excused the not understanding why the birds are birding. Sure. Yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to defend it a little bit because I do appreciate sure. what it's doing, um, but I also acknowledge that it doesn't completely succeed in what it's attempting to do. Yeah, and uh, I guess kind of on along those lines, um, I, I was really hoping, I really thought that the movie was going to take a turn and have a message when um, when the birds start attacking the public for the first time, and they're in uh, in the restaurant, and uh, and you can see this guy filling gas in his car and then a bird attacks him and he falls down and is knocked unconscious from nothing. <laughs> but, but the, the gas starts pouring and, and, and it goes all the way down to that guy who's lighting a cigar by his car. And then, you know, he, the match burns down to his fingertips and he drops something and heat gasoline. Boom. I thought that the movie was maybe going to try to say a message about how humanity is humans worst destruction or our fear is is our worst destruction that even though the birds might be the thing that we'd notice that because i have a note in here that says humans hurt more humans in this movie than the birds do because with with that gas fire and with some of the other i mean that comes to not be true pretty much by the end Mm -hmm. at that moment that was my exact thought is i've seen more people hurt by people than i have people hurt by birds i I really was hoping that that's the message that this movie was going to go is that we see the birds, but the real enemy is our humanity or our fear of some or our fear of something um, that gets in the way of of us um, still loving and caring for one another. I would have loved the movie if that's the direction it gone. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you. I, I honestly hadn't thought of that, and I like <laughs> I like the idea that you're getting at. Yeah, I really don't have too many more thoughts on that, but that that would have been interesting. That would be such a Hitchcockian thing too. Yeah, um, it does get more apocalyptic than I was expecting. Like the first time I saw it, I was just kind of expecting bird violence the whole way through. And then all of a sudden, this whole town's, you know, gone to hell. Um, yeah. Things are, I wasn't expecting like explosions and stuff like that. I was just expecting eyes being pecked out and whatnot. But it goes a lot farther than I was expecting. I want to ask you, you say you don't like horror. So you haven't, have you seen The Wicker Man, the original? No, I've only seen the Nick Cage version. <laughs> okay. Well, then I, I haven't it. seen the Nick Cage version. I've seen the original, but... It's awful. I, I watched it for the podcast that I did in high school. Somebody made me watch it. Gotcha. Well, this for a little bit was was reminding me of, of that. And I really love The Wicker Man, the, the original one, again, with Christopher Lee. So that's that might have might be where some of my warm thoughts are coming from because it's kind of like 
someone investigating something going on in this place they're unfamiliar with. And that's kind of where the, the parallels end. But I wanted to bring that up because that might be a contributing factor to why I do like the movie overall. Maybe I, you're clearly in in the majority of this. If this has a high rating on IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, and all that, like I'm yeah. clearly the minority here. But yeah, don't need to apologize. I just this movie has better effects than Birdemic, but Birdemic is more watchable than this movie. <laughs> and it, you know, it's it's kind of that like whole the room thing. Like it's very watchable. It's yeah. not at all a good movie. It's 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 terrible. It's one of the worst movies ever made. But I th- you know there there's got to be some intentionality behind that too. But Get a couple people in a room together and watch Birdemic, and especially if you have alcohol involved, you know that's that's a great time. Yeah, yeah. The, the, but it was just remarkable to me that a movie in 1963 had better effects than a movie in like 2001. <laughs> so, uh, I think the only other two notes that I have here is that I'm more interested in in the relationship with Tippi Hedren and the um, the school teacher uh, yeah. than I am in her and the man. I think that their chemistry is really good. I love seeing these two characters together and part of it too is rod taylor uh mitch in in the movie he looks to be a little bit older than tippy hedron especially when you when you say that the little girl is his sister and it's like that's quite a big gap there and i'm not saying that families like that don't happen i have quite a few friends that are in families like that but i don't i don't know i I didn't really care too much about his character and especially the way that they were introduced at the bird shop nothing about me wanted them to get together but i really liked seeing the relationship that that the two girls had so yeah i think the characters are this movie's main problem you're just not really as invested in them as you are in other hitchcock movies um and they're not fleshed out or saying anything incredibly interesting for you to chew on like they are in rope so right well and that's the same problem i had with super eight was that i was so much more invested in the b plot than i was in the actual plot i was more invested in the community relationships than i was the alien and that's a problem when you have a movie that wants you to be invested in its main plot i didn't i didn't care at all about the aliens in super eight and so i i didn't think that that movie was was great because of that and i you know it's been a while since i've seen it i plan on revisiting it again but it's the same thing here if if you care more about a side relationship that isn't really long lasting than you do about the main relationship which is predominant in the movie uh, that's a problem, right? The uh, yeah, and the only other note is just about Rod Taylor's acting. Well, first of all, I think the acting in here is fine. I don't notice anything spectacular about anybody, but also nothing negative about really anybody. But uh, um, Rod Taylor, who plays Bitch, just re- reminds me, uh, kind of the, a little bit his facial structure and a little bit his mannerisms, like if, if Robin Williams was this age in the '60s and uh, like less silly, like a little bit right. more stoic, Robin Williams. Yeah, I can um, see it. Hadn't thought of it, but I, I can totally see it. Well, and the I should I should mention the other notes that I said about kind of Hitchcock doing his Hitchcock thing was that uh, apparently when somebody read in the script that they had to go upstairs, I, I think it was Tippi Hedren when she went, she's like, why why would I go upstairs? And, he'll, and Hitchcock just said, because I told you to. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what the script says. Yes. Well, and another part of another part of that is that when she was getting attacked at the very end, they had tied birds with short strings to her mm-hmm. because that like to show the effect of that is just like that. I mean, that's that's insane. I mean, obviously, the birds weren't violent. Well, she got scratched in the face. So a, a little bit violent because they're still birds. But it's just like no part of that would get by today. No, no, not at all. So uh, those are the two notes that I just you know, wanted to kind of mention. Um, my last note is just that starting from when 
Mitch like goes out to the car and when he's getting everyone else in the car, there's no music, there's no other sound. It's just like him quietly going in from the house into the car and the birds are like rustling, ruffling their feathers, some screeching here and there. But that's all really eerie and I think really well done. And, and I think the final shot is really great too, which is just all the birds looking on as the car is driving away. Yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to shout out the ending because I thought it was a well done feeling for the movie. I, I mean, I didn't like the ending because, again, it just kind of didn't give me any reason of why are the birds feral one minute and then not the next. Uh, yeah. And it's yeah. not the presence of human. It's not the presence of angry humans, whatever. It's, you know, it's not like a bee where it's like, if you leave it alone, it'll be fine. It's just, They're just angry or they're not. And and so to me, I was, I was still just mad at that point. But uh, I did I did I did like that you brought up that because I meant to to bring up the music in this movie. Apparently, Hitchcock's normal composer was present for this movie, but he, he didn't make a score for the movie. And so he's, uh, there was no score for this movie. So he's credited as sound coordinator. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. I thought it was a really interesting way to do this movie. Um, if, if anything, I think this movie is an excellent study in sound, especially uh, sound mm-hmm. effects. Uh, right. If, if for somebody that's trying to like learn more about how movies are made, but yeah, apparently this is, this just doesn't have a score. And so he gets credited as sound supervisor, which I, I, I saw that about, I think, two thirds through the movie. And then I was like, but that first like hour, there's not much going on. I don't I, maybe when I rewatch it, I'll have to notice, like, how is there not a score here? Like mm-hmm. It should be. Yeah. Well, you already know my answers. I don't think this movie's a goat. I wouldn't recommend you watch it. And I'm probably not going to watch it again. The only way I see myself watching this again is if I'm on like a Hitchcock marathon or you know, if I'm trying to show somebody older movies. But again, I'm probably going to pick most of the movies that we've talked about here on, on doing these goats than I would pick before the birds. Yeah. I, I probably wouldn't classify it as a, as a goat either, either for myself or in general, it's a pretty cut and dry answer for me uh, for once. And I might watch it again. I don't know. Maybe I'll <laughs> go try to frustrate myself thinking about what it's about, but I don't, I don't think I'll be rewatching it anytime soon. Yeah, like I said, I, I mean, I'm young enough and I'm inexperienced enough that, you know, maybe I'll enjoy it later. But yeah, well, on next week's or next month's goats, excuse me, we'll be talking about Goldfinger and the third James Bond movie and Citizen Kane, which I really enjoyed because I wanted to rewatch. I wanted to watch Citizen Kane because Mank is coming out in December. Yeah. And I and I thought we had this scheduled for the start of spring. So I was just going to go ahead and do it way in advance. So I'm happy that we're talking about Citizen Kane and Goldfinger. And Goldfinger we picked because this was supposed to be the month that No Time to Die was supposed to come out. But uh, we're still keeping it because Goldfinger is still arguably one of the um, considered one of the best James Bond movies. So uh, we'll be talking about those two movies if you want to catch up if you want to um, get ahead of the game because we talk spoilers as you know uh but before we move on to the b plot robert uh out of all the goats that we've talked about which one has been your favorite uh it's the same one running for a few uh episodes now and it's it's still rope yeah i, I mean la confidential for me still I, I neither of these would have broken it. it rope is so close but i think i like la confidential just a little bit more man rope is an excellent choice if we're going true goats you know where movies had to be made um before 1994 like we initially said (laughs) then rope was gonna be my answer as well but we talked about la confidential halloween and the birds just isn't gonna crack probably even my top five i haven't put them in my letterbox list yet yeah uh i've got halloween at seven and the birds at five because i've been ranking these okay 
Yeah, well, I, I did it too. I just haven't done it for these these two yet. Right. Well, let's move on to the B plot then. Robert, We t- I wanted to talk about this because we talked about it on your podcast and I just thought it was a lot of fun. And so uh, I figured let's just talk about collecting movies. How do we do it? How do you organize it? I mean, it's it's a, apparently a pretty varied question, you know, thing to people. I, I'm just interested in, in just having a conversation with you about like how, how on earth do you collect movies and then how do you store them, all that and all that. So what are some of your like initial thoughts about that? Yeah, so I've been intentionally collecting Blu-rays for two or three years now. I don't have a lot, maybe more than a casual collector, but less than a diehard collector. I've got maybe 150, 200 movies. But in the past, I also had a lot of DVDs. So I've combined yeah my collections of between 150 and 200 i've got a couple shelves out in my living room and that's where i store all my movies i've got tv shows on their own shelf but that's not that many i have i only have three tv shows lost modern family and uh ncis because that's what my wife had and our collections merged when we got married and (laughs) her collection was about five movies large so it's not like it added much Anyway, um, I organize them alphabetically. You and your notes here have a lot of like asterisks and how you organize yours alphabetically. I mean, there just has to be, right? Well, not so much for me because like for franchises, it's pretty easy. Like if it's Star Wars, A New Hope, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, it's, it's easy for how to organize those. Um, I'll start with Star Wars and then go in the order that the movies happen. Yeah. But I don't put like Empire Strikes Back in the E's and Attack of the Clones in the A. I don't know why I said right. Attack of the Clones right after <laughs> Empire Strikes Back. But um, yeah, for like Star Wars, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, Head of Trainer Dragon, stuff like that, they're all together. But with stuff like James Bond or Batman or the MCU, they'll slot in where they land alphabetically. So like I have the Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises next to each other, but Batman Begins is off in the B's. James Bond, I have... I have all of the Daniel Craig versions of James Bond, none of the other ones. And when you're on my podcast, he said that you organize them by doing 007. You have them all towards the beginning. I thought of doing that, but the only reason I didn't is because Quantum of Solace is the only cue that I have. And I like having and buying Quantum of Solace gave me at least one movie from every letter of the alphabet. So I wanted that slotted in in queue. So, yeah, that's that's really the biggest reason I have James Bond separated. As for like multi-packs, I have like a Kubrick multi-pack and the, the first one on the top is 2001. Like if you look at the spine on the very top, it says 2001. So I have that all the way in the twos. Is that 2001, uh, The Shining Clockwork Orange? Yeah. I used to have that same multi-pack. Yeah. When I, I, when I upgraded uh, 2001 and The Shining to 4K, I converted a clockwork orange to digital and sold the triple pack yeah i saw it at, at target for 10 bucks and i was like i will do yeah. that. that that's one of the best like triple packs you could buy yeah and those are all three very very good i have numbers coming first before my alphabet um in case that was pertinent and lastly lastly the only other like pack i have like that well actually two of them i have like a big box of fast and furious one through seven so i have those all together and then the cornetto trilogy I put in the W's because the world's end is on the top of the the spine for that case. So yeah, there's my collection in a nutshell. Yeah, I just I just can't do that. Um, I so I prefer a physical over a digital. I, I I know that you don't do any digital. 
It's all physical. No, I meant to add that I don't do digital. Well, you digitally rent, but you won't buy. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. buying can be up to like 15, 20 bucks sometimes. And if there's something oh, yeah. for $4 that I just have to watch for a podcast or something, then I'll rent it. Yeah. I'll do uh, physical over digital. If I can, I prefer the 4k disc. I like Blu-rays. Um, Blu-rays. Okay. And especially like some movies you just don't need the 4k on. Like there are some that even after I was started collecting 4ks, sometimes just not, I don't think it'll be worth the extra five bucks. Like I remember sitting there like, and I went and bought three billboards outside of big Missouri. The first day it came out, I was just like, why on earth does this have a 4k upscale? Right, yeah. This is not a movie that would utilize 4k. So those billboards look great in 4k. Oh yeah. So, so, so I'll typically go 4k if I can, or if, or if there's not going to be a price difference or anything like that, but I like Blu-ray, I'll only do DVD if it's the only format available, including like not on digital or sometimes just like it's way too much on digital. So like I have, I have the three Mighty Ducks movies on DVD because the only way you can get the Blu-rays mm. is through Disney Movie Club, and they are each twenty bucks, whereas you can get the DVDs for five oh, a piece. Thank you. And well, and the other thing too is they're not everybody. All the reviews that I've read has said there is no difference in quality between the DVD and the Blu-ray. So you know, it, it'd be different if it was going to be high def and typical Disney, and pristine. Yeah. So, um, so like I have those, or I recently bought the Brave Little Toaster movies because they're not on 4K or they're not on Blu-ray. Sorry, they're not on. They're obviously not yeah. on 4K either. But which is a shame. Why is the Brave Little Toaster goes to Mars not on Blu-ray? So uh, I would go digital before I go DVD, though. It's also oh, a difference wow. of like the Mighty Ducks were five bucks, but they were like also like 20 on digital. So again, for for not an extra upgrade to save some money, um, I only go digital over Blu-ray if it's going to save me um, some money or if it's going to like be a movie that doesn't necessarily matter. You know, like I hate saying like super bad doesn't matter if it buffers a little bit or if the quality kind of gets obscured just doesn't matter i also just prefer buying over renting because i see it like you know if i buy a movie i typically don't spend like 10 bucks more than 10 bucks for a movie unless it's a new release and like i've already seen it or just in general i've already seen it you know if i'm going to spend 10 bucks i'll be you know I'd, I'd rather be like i'm going to spend the 10 bucks now and consider it a you know, even if i didn't really like it like i rented it for the rest of my life and i don't have to worry about late fees i don't have to worry about getting around to watch it at some point i might right. change my mind and want to watch it later although i also do sell um, physical copies uh, that I don't want to hang on to anymore uh, relatively frequently. I do go alphabetical numbers at the front. So like I said, 007 is at the front. Franchises are lumped together, uh, and but uh, only if I have multiple. So like I only have Man of Steel out of the DCEU. The rest of them I own are on digital. So Man of Steel is an M, not D, um, or not S for Superman. But the Planet of the Apes prequel trilogy is in P for Planet of the apes and i have cornetto trilogy under c for cornetto trilogy because i recently bought the 4k triple pack Mm -hmm. that's where i know it is it's the cornetto trilogy uh but the dark knight trilogy for me is under b for batman but then it's in release order for the movies so like i have like the the four pack or the adam west movie and then i have the four pack of the like 80s and 90s one and then i have the dark knight rises and then presumably if i buy the batman it'll go after that um, so just release order. Right. Um, so like that's kind of where it gets like a little bit interesting because normally I think I would classify under that D because that's considered the Dark Knight trilogy usually, but because it's yeah, still yeah. Batman. Um, but and then I don't know what to do about Doctor Sleep, so I just put it right after The Shining. It's a direct sequel, but Shining too. <laughs> In that sort of situation, I don't want to think too hard. No, that's I, I get not thinking too hard, but I have eleven hundred, and so there has to be a way 
to organize and and to know where all my movies are at some point. And so and like yeah. and X Men just gets confusing. So I think the way I have it is Origins, yeah, Origins, then the original trilogy, then the Wolverine, then First Class, then Days of Future Past, then Apocalypse, and then if I had Dark Phoenix, I'd put it there, and then Logan. But th- that's obviously not release order. But how on earth do you categorize? How do how long do you try to make sense of the X Men timeline anymore? Are you telling me you didn't buy uh, Dark Phoenix the day it came out? No, I've I've never seen Dark Phoenix yet, and I really? at one point owned Apocalypse in physical, and then after rewatching it, I hated it, so I still have it digitally, but not not on physical anymore. Okay, so yeah, I have D under Deadpool under D, not X, since they stand alone. Uh, yeah. They're kind of separate, uh, but I, I don't really know how you do Unbreakable, Split, and Glass. So I have those kind of separated out, uh, and then so but and then what I'll probably do for right now, I have Godzilla and Godzilla King of the Monsters together under G, and then Kong Skull Island over there. But probably when there's Godzilla versus Kong, I'll probably put them all in G for Godzilla mm-hmm. under release date. So and I don't necessarily know if that's the best way because again you have k in the middle movies get complicated i try to i try to avoid buying multiple movie packs unless it's the same universe like the cornetto trilogy but i have a couple and i just shove them at the end and then i just try to make sense out of that so like i have clerks and zach and miri or clerks 2 and zach and miri together and that goes under k for kevin smith but kind of in the very end I try to get the Steelbook. I'd never buy the Target exclusive because it takes up way too much space. And when you have 1,200 movies, you need all the space you can get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't separate my 4Ks from my Blu-rays. They're all on the same shelves. But I do separate TV shows. And so I have two shelves that sit on either side of my TV. And then on top of the left shelf is all my Blu-ray TV shows, which also has an extra shelf added on top. And then on on top of the right shelf is all of my DVD TV shows. and then. I have any DVD movies kind of in an entertainment cabinet behind uh, behind a door, um, like in my entertainment center that sits under my TV. I, if you're interested in seeing that, I've posted about it. I've posted it on Twitter several times. Mm-hmm. And I'm mostly a completionist, but I'm okay mix, mixing physical or digital for like movies that I don't love. So like a good example is like Jurassic Park. I happen to have the first. I happen to have all of them, but I have the first four on physical, and I have Fallen Kingdom on digital because I kind of didn't hate fallen kingdom uh but i don't like jurassic park two or three but it but it came in a bundle um or like the x-men like i said apocalypse uh just don't have that or like the dceu i don't really love any of the movies besides man of steel so i'm okay just owning those or like you know scream like i bought a three pack and then scream you know and scream four was out and i just bought that one on digital or like and i'm and i'm okay like just missing movies like i think the best example i had was uh uh mission impossible i don't have the first two because the second one is just garbage and I don't really like the first one, but I love three through six. So mm-hmm. yeah. that's all I have. And and then there are some that I just own just to be a completionist. Uh, biggest example for that is solo, but I'm not going to be a completion. I'm not going to not be a completionist for star Wars. Right. I didn't realize you didn't like uh, solo. I think it's solid. Nope. Solo solid. Nope. I don't like it. It's my yeah. least favorite star Wars movie. I know this is way off topic, but I, Every time I think about it, Rise of Skywalker gets lower and lower, and I might have to give it the crown. Oh, Rise of Skywalker is barely above it, but yeah, it is. Yeah, it's so bad. Yeah, I meant to mention when I was going through all my stuff that I do have Blu-rays and DVDs. And one day when I have more money and means, I want to convert all my DVDs to Blu-rays because I'm weird and it bugs me when I look over at my shelf and the the height's different. Yeah. And like the colors different and 
I don't know if this is weird of me or not, but I sit, spend a lot of time like just looking at my movie shelf. Sometimes if I'm not particularly interested in what's on TV, I'll just find my, my eyes glancing over to the shelf and just staring at my movies. I play sure. a game with my wife sometimes where she says, she says a movie on the shelf and I have to guess what's on either side of it uh, because I spend so much time just looking at it that I have an idea in my mind of what, what's there. I think I have a small enough collection, at least compared to yours, that it's not too difficult for me to sure. to come up with what's next to it. And finally, I don't care much about 4K versus Blu-ray or Steelbooks, with the exception of I had the Lord of the Rings extended editions on DVD. I recently finally bought them each on Blu-ray. And just like two weeks ago, they announced that at the end of this year and next summer, there's going to be all six Lord of the Rings, including The Hobbit, movies are finally going to be on 4k yep so here's my uh, obligatory mention of lord of the rings in every podcast episode that i do Obviously. but that's the only one that i need to upgrade every time that and most nolan movies i bought on dvd because that was before most of them came out before i was really into collecting so i'll eventually uh convert each of them to blu-ray or 4k as well sure. but other than that i'll just go for the standard blu-ray because most of the time you can get them for a reasonable price for five to 10 bucks, depending on the movie and depending on where you look for it. Anyway. Yeah. So that's just a quick, quick look at how, how we arrange things. I think, I think it's just really interesting. People do it different ways and I, I, I love hearing different ways, but really you can organize it however you want, as long as you organize it. Nothing irks me more than people that don't have an organization system. Like people that are just like, these are movies on a shelf, but I'm like, but how, how are you going to find, the one that you want to watch. And they're like, I only own 20 movies. And I'm like, but it's still just, it just, it just bugs me. And so you can order them however you want. Just, just actually have an, an organization system <laughs> and is all that I, that I say, but, uh, but Robert, <laughs> let's move on to the spinoff. Just our last thing here. Uh, what is one thing in the pop culture world that you want to tell everybody to check out or to avoid? Uh, so I haven't been really watching a lot of stuff lately. And the only other thing I would, I would say, I think you're going to, bring up in a couple of minutes. So this is something that I watched a couple of weeks ago and it's seven psychopaths because I saw Martin McDonough's filmography in a weird order. I saw three billboards first, probably about a year after it came out. Uh, really like that. Then I saw in Bruges six months ago, really loved that put it on my favorite movies of all time list. So I figured why not watch his third movie or his other movie third of his that I've, that I'll be seeing seven psychopaths. And it's now my second favorite Martin McDonough movie after In Bruges, and I really loved it. There's just something about the way that he makes movies, like his style of writing and filmmaking. It's like this darkly violent and at times offensive, but at the same time, very comedic and very well-meaning that I really love how he does it. It's a lot like In Bruges in the sense that there's a character who makes a big sacrifice for the betterment of a friend. Sam Rockwell, Colin Farrell, Christopher Walken are all great. Martin McDonough and his brother John Michael imbue heavy religious themes into their movies. And I always find that really interesting, especially with the types of movies that they make. If you haven't seen it, John Michael McDonough made this movie called Calvary starring Brendan Gleeson. That's excellent. And with Seven Psychopaths, it's just great dark humor. That's all I'll say about it. I think if you can handle violence and dark humor then this is a movie for you i remember uh watching that movie when it came out and i thought it was just okay but i really like that movie i saw it again recently I, it was just not the right time for me to see it i was not the yeah. right age that, yeah, that movie was really good 
It's really funny. It's surprising how funny yeah. those movies are. Uh, also, you should check out Six Shooter. He has that on the Three Billboards Blu-ray as an extra. Okay. It's a, it's like a twenty minute short. I saw it when it was on Mubi when I did a free free trial for Mubi, but it's it's excellent. Cool. I, yeah, I really love everything he does. So I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, I uh, I thought about talking about something this this week, but I really try to avoid talking about things that came out this year. And like, I try to avoid TV shows since we do TV catch up once a month. And I try to talk about or I try to avoid talking about things that came out this year because at the end of the year we'll have like, uh, what are your thoughts on just stuff that came out this year? So I'm going to instead of divert and talk about Among Us, if you are playing, you know that this is a great game. If you are not playing, it is it is so much fun, especially if you can like start up a Discord and play while chatting with your friends. Uh, it's essentially you're on a spaceship and there are 10 people and there are one or two or three imposters. Uh, there are up to 10 people and there are one or two or three imposters. And there are certain tasks you have to do, and but the imposters are trying to kill people. And so the game ends when the imposters equal or out, outnumber survivors or all the crew tasks are complete uh, and you get to uh, vote people off the ship and sometimes you vote wrong and sometimes you vote right, but it's just a really good time uh, to just play with some friends. And, and it's, it's good at doing some community. Like I said, especially if you start up a discord and actually get to talk with people, it's, it's, it's been like the most social I've been during quarantine uh, other than this podcast, which has just been really great. And so uh, if you if you haven't played it, if you wanted to consider checking it out, it's on mobile or Steam for Windows. Not, you can't get it on Mac, but you Steam, you have to pay five bucks for it on Windows. Mobile is free. Uh, I play on mobile because I have a Mac. But yeah. I, I just really love playing it, and I know Robert and I play sometimes. And so it's a, it, it's just a lot of fun. It's a good game. Yeah, I love playing, I love playing Among Us. I can lose myself in too many rounds in a row. The simplicity of it is what's so much fun for me. Yes. The simplicity with like the backstabbing and intrigue that comes along with it. I don't play a lot of mobile games or video games, but for whatever reason, I think it's the social aspect of it. This one has caught me in the right spot. And maybe it's just because it's so much fun playing with the, the Sif Pop friends sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Among Us is great. I don't, I don't ever play mobile games. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The simplicity, but it's simple. It's simple, but no two rounds will ever be the same. Uh, right, yeah. Which is why I love playing Rainbow Six Siege so much on my Xbox is because it's it's such a simple game, but can get complex if you really get into the game, but no two rounds will ever be the same. So so there you go. There's our two recommends for us this week. Uh, that's a wrap. Quick reminder that Sip Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast feed. Uh, if you're interested in writing for SipPop.com or you want to get in contact with us, maybe send us a question to explore during the B-plot, then you can email us at writersroom at SipPop.com. Uh, the sh- email should be in your show description. Uh, here and uh, if you want to support the show help out with some costs that we pay for out of pocket such as fees equipment or rentals you can Venmo me at Schweitcastle which is also my Twitter and letterboxed handle so that's how you can connect with me please don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if that's what you're using to listen to us it helps out the show more than you'll ever possibly know uh, but Robert that's how people can check out with me where can people find you where can people keep up with you and uh, I don't know something <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Rob's thoughts and Instagram at Robert's thoughts and at Robert's thoughts.com as well as most weeks on the Sif pop BEC and then some reviews and the on the contrary series. So check out my writing on Moneyball and La La Land, which if I have the dates right based on when this releases and when that releases, it should be out already. 
Excellent. Well, uh, like I said, we'll have you on in about a month again, and uh, we'll be talking Goldfinger and Citizen Kane. Next week, I have Joe on the show. We're going to be talking about batteries not included uh, as a nostalgia pick. Uh, But for the meantime, Robert, we got to get back to the writer's room.